Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here in this place this morning. Thank you for what you're already doing. Thank you for what you're already speaking to each one of us here. And yeah, Lord, I I pray that you would continue to open the eyes of our hearts that we might see wonderful things in your word. Continue to speak to us continue to sp- well and and begin to speak through me lord i pray that the words of my heart would be acceptable in your sight and you would speak through me and your spirit would speak to each person here equip us empower us to do the work that you've called us to in jesus name amen amen, amen. amen. so spiritual disciplines is the series that uh we are on this month. Um, I missed last week, so I, uh, well, I saw on the, the slide that Lynn had something to say about Jesus. But, but I know before that, Dan was talking about worship. And before that, um, Sam was talking about confession. And this week, uh, I have been asked to share about a spiritual discipline, any spiritual discipline of my choice. And you may have seen what I have chosen. But before we get there... I, I want to share some of, you know, my kind of thoughts as, as I was asking the Lord, what, what is the point of spiritual disciplines? What, what are spiritual disciplines and what are the spiritual disciplines that we as a church need to, to learn about? And so I've been thinking about this because um, it's hard as a preacher when you don't just get given the passage and told what to preach, but instead you get told... Oh, you can preach on whatever you like. Um, and, you know, obviously it's not whatever I like. It's spiritual disciplines. But within that, there's, there's a lot of scope. So, you know, so I'm asking Jesus, what do you have to say about spiritual disciplines? And how do we know what Jesus has to say? Well, the word of God tells us. So, so I'm looking through my Bible. Where does Jesus talk about spiritual disciplines? And I found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. That, I think, is kind of Jesus's sermon on the spiritual disciplines. And um, a friend of mine has a nice rhyming way of summing up Jesus' teaching. Basically, fast, pray, and give it away. Except it's backwards. Jesus actually starts with giving it away and then praying and then, and then fasting. But it doesn't rhyme that way around, so we've got to flip it, right? Um, fast, pray, and give it away, Jesus says. Um, that's, those are the Jesus' three spiritual disciplines that, that he focused on for his disciples. And... So obviously we're going to do different ones because, you know, you all, you've already covered those, right? You, you know that. But um, also then Jesus' teaching on fasting, on praying, on giving, giving it away. In Matthew 6, what's, what's the centre of it? Well, it's all about doing it in the secret place. And you probably know, but, you know, and, and maybe I should have chosen this passage. But I wanted to talk about hospitality. We're going to get there. Okay, um... Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like that visibly very religious person who's, who wants everyone to see them praying, but do it in secret. Why? Because your father is in secret. Has anyone ever seen God? No. Therefore, the way to meet with God is to go where you're not seen. Go to that secret place because God is a secret God. And the same when you're fasting. Don't make it really obvious with your sackcloth and your ashes and your trying your microphone next to your rumbling stomach so that everyone can see how hungry you are but 
you know, dress normally and, and try and keep it secret and giving as well. Don't sound a trumpet to say, I'm giving the biggest offering to the church's harvest donation. But just in secret, do these things because your heavenly father is in secret, Jesus says. And so you should do it in secret. Now, OK, so that's kind of spiritual disciplines 101. Maybe, maybe it's new to you, but, but probably it's not. Um, for me, growing up as a Christian, uh, it, it's not. But then, then the challenge is, okay, I want to pray in secret. I want to fast in secret. I want to give in secret. How do I learn how to do these things if, if everyone is just doing them in secret? I mean, even Jesus' own followers, the, the, the people in his time, they didn't think that his followers fasted. They thought they were all gluttons and drunkards. Remember, they said to Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? And maybe it was they hadn't really started yet. And, and Jesus' answer kind of gives that impression. Well, it's not the time to fast when the bridegroom is with the bride. And he uses that wedding imagery because Jesus is the bridegroom. And we, his, his, well, the people loved by him, we are his bride. And, and so that season when he was on earth was a time of celebration for his followers. But also maybe they were fasting. And if they were doing it according to Jesus' teaching, how would anyone know, Right? Um, and even public prayer meetings, you know, I want to talk to Liz about this monthly prayer meeting because it's great when we come together as a church to pray, except we're supposed to be praying in secret. Is that allowed to pray together? Um, except actually it is. And there's this fascinating verse we came across as a family when we were reading the Bible together a few uh, days ago where it says Jesus was praying alone and his disciples were with him. <laughs> and, you know, so... That switches everything around, right? The secret place isn't necessarily the place where no one can see you. But actually the secret place is the place where you don't care who sees you. Where, where your heart is focused on the fact that it's only the father seeing you that matters. And then if you can make that switch from... I want to say a good prayer so that everyone who's listening to my prayer will say a loud amen. To instead, it doesn't matter whether anyone agrees at all. What matters is that God hears my prayer. Um, but then there's kind of a second level that, that there is power when we come together and we pray together. Um, my wife has a great rhyme that sums it up for me because it rhymes. It helps me to remember. Seek to bless, not to impress. And that applies to prayer, that applies to fasting, that applies to giving. And in hospitality, um, which I've chosen because Sam had this book with this page of contents, choose one of these spiritual disciplines to preach about. And I was struck by hospitality on that list because I've never really come across hospitality in the context of spiritual disciplines before. But there it was. And hospitality, possibly more than anything else, how do you do it in the secret place? You know, I'm going to be hospitable in the secret place. No one's invited because <laughs> then it wouldn't be secret anymore. Like that doesn't make sense, right? Uh, but if hospitality is to be a spiritual discipline, Jesus' foundational teaching on all spiritual disciplines is they've got to be done in secret because otherwise the father who's in secret will not see it, will not be there, will not bless it. And so, hospitality, how do we do it in secret? Well, my wife has already told you the answer. Seek to bless, 
not to impress. So, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my first point. Why hospitality and why spiritual disciplines more broadly? And so we want to come not just to the why, but to the who and to the how, but, but a few more thoughts on the why, because I'm, I'm still kind of wrestling with, with this this morning, this whole sense of why spiritual blessing, spiritual disciplines, okay, to bless, not to impress, but, but you know, when we're, you know, hospitality, it, it's the most obvious, isn't it, that, that when you do it, you do bless people, but, but when, I, when I fast, are other people blessed by that? How does that work? What, what happens when we fast? What happens when we pray? What, what happens when these things happen? Are we, are we trying to change God's mind? Is God kind of, he, he's only begrudgingly, um, you know, he's like, well, I'll bless one person. And we say, oh God, please, could you bless two? There's this, there's this great Charlie and Lola kids book that we read to our kids called One Thing, um, which is this fascinating sociological exploration of the mathematical idea of one because Lola's this little girl and her mum says, I'm going to take you to the shops and you can have one thing. And she says, now one thing each for me and my brother or one thing between us. And her mum says, one thing each. And so Lola says, aha, that's two things. And, you know, so, so numbers, they're kind of more complex than what we mean. And um, what am I talking about? Prayer. Are we trying to bargain with God? In fact, there's a Bible, a chapter in the Bible where Abraham has this conversation with God. And God says to Abraham, you see that city of Sodom where your nephew Lot has moved to? There's such wickedness there that I'm going to have to judge it. And Abraham says to God, what if the whole city wasn't wicked? What if there were 50 righteous people there? Surely you'd save it for the sake of 50 righteous people. And God says, yeah, I would. And Abraham says... Ah, it doesn't look quite like that's going to be enough to, to change the fact that, that Sodom's in, in trouble. And so he says, okay, what about 40? What about 30? What about 10? And God says, okay, I would, I would, I would for 10. And Abraham gets him down to 10 and then he stops. And then the two angels carry on on their way to Sodom and they don't find any righteous people. <laughs> and the city ends up being destroyed. But, but that sense of bargaining, it's, it's odd. It's there in the Bible, but... It's kind of, is that what prayer is? Are we trying to change God's mind? Not, not really, I don't think. The, the, the story, I think, that kind of makes more sense without digging too deeply into it is, is one of the gospel stories where the leper comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. And so in prayer... We're asking God not to change his mind, but we're reaching out and we're just we're just taking hold of his willingness and his power that is already there. So that's one sense of it. Another sense is that that we are just we are actually training something in ourselves. The the version that we read of um, uh, of Romans talking about hospitality, talked about pursuing hospitality. But the version that was in my mind when I th thought about this passage was practice hospitality. And someone may already have mentioned it in this series, I forget who, but that idea of a musician practicing his scales. We as Christians, we want to practice these spiritual disciplines 
so that we're able to increase our strength to, to reach out of God and out to God and take hold of his, his riches and his blessings. It's kind of like God has already, well, he's already welcomed us to his heavenly banqueting table. And he said, come and eat as much as you want. Come and take as much as you like to feed those that, that aren't able to come ourselves. But we've only got two hands and, and the, the, the weighty glories of God's heavenly goodness are, are so much that we can hardly carry much. And, and in doing these spiritual exercises, we increase our capacity so we're able to, to carry more of God's presence and blessing with us to bless others. And that's part of it too. Um, but there's, there's something of a mystery and I haven't got it all worked out, but I invite you into that, that, that question to, to wrestle with me. Why do we do spiritual disciplines? Why, when we pray for lost sheep to come back to God, why don't we see those prayers saved, uh, aren't, see those souls saved and those prayers answered really quickly? Why do some things take so long and why do some prayers seem to never be answered? I don't know. I don't know. But hospitality. Why do we do it? Because, well, kind of fundamentally, we do it (laughs) because Jesus has done it for us. Romans 15 carries on to say, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And basically all of Christian discipleship kind of boils down to this blank one another as God has blank you. And so in Romans 15, we get it in the context of hospitality. Welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed you. In Ephesians 4, you get it in the context of forgiveness. Paul says to the uh, Ephesian church, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. In John chapter 13, Jesus says to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. This is all that the Christian life really is. It's just doing to one another what God in Christ has already done to us and for us. And so why hospitality? Because God has welcomed us. We were starving, hungry, poor and naked. And Jesus came and said, come all you who are hungry. Come all you who are thirsty. Blessed are you if you are hungry because you are going to be filled because I'm inviting you to the Father's table. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Psalm 23 says that the Lord is our shepherd and he's prepared a table for us. And yeah, so we're welcomed into the Father's house where there are many rooms. And so that is why we do it. And who do we do it to? One another. And so we have small groups. We meet together in each other's homes like the church in Acts 2 devoted themselves to fellowship. And they met together in the temple and from house to house and their numbers multiplied. And so we meet together every week in this central building and every month we have uh, fellowship lunch together and then Every week or every couple of weeks or however often your little small group meets, we meet from house to house and and we want to get to know each other. We want to go deep in in knowing each other and and loving each other so we're not just kind of 
thinking, oh, well, I'll smile at other people in the church as I go to my usual row, but, but actually that we might know each other more deeply and love each other more meaningfully and, you know, rub shoulders enough that, that we do annoy each other enough that we have something to forgive so that we're able to forgive like, to, <laughs> like we've been told to, rather than just keeping that healthy, respectful English distance. <laughs> hmm. But... Hospitality is not just for those in the church. In fact, the Greek word hospitality is xenophilia, which means love of the stranger. And going back again to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't be like the, you know, those who only, only greet those who they already know, because anyone would do that, whether or not they know God. But it's the strangers that we're called to love, those that we don't yet know. And in some measure, this this has seeped into our culture. And so the parable of the Good Samaritan in which this Samaritan who didn't associate with the Jews, you know, looks is the the one who reaches out to this dying Jew lying on the road. And, And we know that in our culture so that, you know, everyone knows the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's lost its shock value and yet there's still something so powerful about reaching out across social divides to who I don't know whether those people would like us to associate with them even if we might like to associate with them and I'm not sure about that either but you know there's there's the strangers that that we don't yet know that's that's one level of difficulty not too difficult you just reach out and then you can begin to know them but there's the strangers you you know that you're not supposed to know because you know maybe it's just football rivalry or maybe it's something deeper um but we're called to cross those dividing walls of hostility to use the phrase from Ephesians that Jesus Christ has broken down by his death on the cross so hospitality, let's do it for one another, but let's reach out to strangers and, as well and, and, and even enemies. Because Jesus says to love our enemies. And, and this chapter, Romans 12, talks about if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's the hospitality we want where even those that have somehow got in that category of enemies that, that we shouldn't really as Christians be able to keep as a coherent category for very long and yet it does keep happening um how can we extend hospitality to 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 everyone every tribe every tongue every people every nation that is the biblical vision that we're aiming for that that revelation says one day we'll all be united in the house of God singing worthy is the lamb and even now our homes, our table at the coffee shop, whatever, can, can be an example of that. So, why and who? And finally, how? How can we show hospitality? And we've already watched the video and, and um, that woman did a brilliant job at talking about how we just need to keep it simple, really. Um, but I, I was thinking about some biblical examples of hospitality and thinking about what we might learn from them. And uh, starting with Genesis, you see Abraham 
sees these three strangers kind of appearing on the horizon. And what does he do? Well, he runs to them. And he says, please come eat with me. Let me prepare a little morsel of food for you. And they say, okay. And he runs back to his wife and his servants and he says, okay, quick, bake some some bread and some cakes. And he runs out to the field and says, slaughter the fattened calf. And and so great is that example that that Hebrews, um, the writer of Hebrews looks back at that story and he says, don't forget to practice hospitality for some have entertained angels by doing it. And I'm pretty sure that he's talking about that story of Abraham and these three angels who one of them turns out to be the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ himself. And Abraham then goes on to have this conversation about God, please, could you have a little bit more mercy on Sodom? Um, And then only the two other mere angels carry on to Sodom. Um, But yeah, so so let's be zealous like Abraham to see someone at a distance and maybe literally, but certainly kind of metaphorically, who are those people that maybe we could invite, but it kind of feels distance that we can energetically reach out to. And there's also kind of that wisdom, I think, like you about setting expectations Um, (laughs) where Abraham says to the people, I'm just going to prepare a little morsel of food for you. And then he goes back and he's like, okay, how can we give the best that we've got? And, you know, so I'm not saying, and and I think it's important that, that we do keep it simple. We don't always in every situation where we're trying to show hospitality, we don't have to slaughter the fattened calf. It doesn't have to be Christmas dinner every single time that, well, even that we have a fellowship meal or that you invite someone to your home or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, humanly, there's a bit of wisdom in, in give them a sense of what to expect and then just try and exceed it by a little bit, maybe, but not too much because then maybe it becomes unsustainable and you think, whew, we can do Christmas dinner once a year, maybe, or hopefully next year at someone else's house, but not again. You know, instead, we want, we want this to be a regular practice. Um, I mean, speaking of practice and thinking of athletics, you know, because I've shared it at the front, um, my story at the start of this year of thinking, I used to be an athlete, I'm going to get back in shape, I'm going to go down to that running track by Wavertree, and I'm going to do some real exercise. And I went and I joined the the teenage sprinters. And I'm like, yes, I might be old and now have kids, but I can still do this. And the next day, my legs were very sore. But I thought, no, come on, I can still do this. And I went down on the Thursday and I injured my ankle so badly that I was unable to put any weight on it for about five months. And now I, you know, I can put some weight on it, but it's still not um, that great. Anyway, so in all these exercises, these practices physically, but also spiritually, let's start small and sustainable and then slowly build up rather than think, yes, Revival's going to come to my house because I'm going to put on Christmas dinner for the whole street and then never do it again. Um, no, start sustainably, but, you know, set expectations sustainably and then just exceed them slightly. Who else? Who else do we see in, in Old Testament scriptures who does hospitality? Well, uh, I came across um, in Second Kings chapter four, the Shunammite lady who um, shows hospitality to the prophet Elisha. Um, 
And actually, they, her and her husband have done this once or twice. And then she says to her husband, you know, why don't we build another story on the top of our house so that we've got a guest room so that we can host this guy whenever he comes? And they do. And it turns out to their great advantage because when their son ends up um, being sick and does he die? I should have read this more carefully. Um, he's, he's healed. Um, now, I'm not saying that you need to build another story on top of your house because it's more difficult when English roofs are like this rather than flat Middle Eastern ones, right? Um, but hospitality is not just inviting someone for a meal. Hospitality might be having someone over to stay. And again, that doesn't need to be complicated. That might just be that, you know, you, you let someone know that they can stay on their sofa for a night or two if, if they need to, if they'd like to come and visit. Um, yeah, welcoming someone to, to stay with you. Um, but simplicity, it's all about simplicity. And, and what does Jesus say? He says, if you even give a cup of cold water to someone in my name, then, then you get a heavenly reward. And so, that, like, that, well, that, that's actually what motivates me to help with the teas sometimes. I think, you know, cold water, oh, no, cup of tea. Surely that counts too. Warm tea, you know, I'm getting to share in all of your reward. Um, but, but, yeah, the simplicity of hospitality. We can do it whether we've got a home that we can invite people into, whether we've got uh, amazing cooking for people to come and feast on, or whether we can just give them a cup of cold water. And, and it's on both sides even as well. And I was thinking as well, and she mentioned it on the video, about Jesus showed hospitality when he was homeless. How did he do it? He did it by inviting himself to other people's houses. So Zacchaeus is there in the crowd watching and Jesus says, today I'm coming to your house. You know, that is not how hospitality is supposed to work. Particularly in England, we have, you know, very clear social etiquette. Someone might say, oh yes, you should come round sometimes. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to invite you in a few weeks. They're just being polite and they might leave it. Don't be offended. We're just kind of like very socially not sure about, you know, crossing boundaries too much. And there's even a proverb that says, don't be too often in your neighbor's house for then they will hate you. And, you know, so biblically be careful, right? But we want to run that risk because we're not just nervously biblical, we're confidently apostolic, maybe. Um, but we want to try to be, at least. So, you know, maybe you're thinking, I don't have any cooking skills or a kitchen, I don't have a house, I'm not even sure I have a cup of cold water. Don't worry, all you need to do is invite yourself to the house of the person who does. And... Um, that might be the way that God is going to use you because we are one body. We've all got different gifts. Hospitality isn't one of those gifts. Hospitality is a practice that we're all called to pursue. But the way that we pursue it will look a little bit different for each of us. And then as it comes together, it, it, stops, it starts to look the, as, as one bigger thing for all of us. And so... Application. A Bible teacher once told me that, you know, Bible teaching without application is like unwrapping a chocolate from its wrapper and then not eating it. You don't do that. We need the application. So, next week, fellowship lunch. 
this is our chance every every month to exercise this muscle of showing hospitality, not just as individual athletes, but as as a team together. What is God calling you to do for next week's fellowship lunch? Is it cooking something? Is it just inviting someone who would never have thought to come to church, but, you know, for, for uh, a Sunday lunch, free meal, maybe they might be persuaded to join us. Maybe they won't even be persuaded to join us for the service, but maybe just to get to know some of our church community might begin to, to melt one of those first icy walls of hostility that might stop them from encountering God's love. Um, or, you know, more deeply, maybe God's calling you to, to get involved more profoundly and to help Liz and whoever else think through, okay, how do we do these every week? How do we organize these things? I don't know. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. Let me draw to a close by reminding you what I've tried to say. Hospitality is a spiritual discipline. Why do we do spiritual disciplines? Because in Christ, God has disciplined himself for us to welcome us to forgive us and love us and so as Christians in Christ we want to do everything for each other that God in Christ has done for us and hospitality is absolutely one of those things how do we do it we do it in the secret place same as all the other disciplines for hospitality the paradox of that is particularly stark But the secret place doesn't necessarily mean a place where no one can see you, but it means a place where you don't care who sees you because you know that your heavenly father is the only one whose judgment matters. Who can we show hospitality for? Everyone. One another as Christians, but also strangers who are not yet Christians and enemies, those that might hate Christians or whatever other groups you might think of yourself as part of. Show it to everyone. How? On every scale, but start sustainably, keep it simple and um, but also together, not just individually, but together because we're one body. So I'm afraid those don't exactly alliterate. My wife said, you need an alliterative sermon. How about hospitality is commanded, it's costly and it's cool. And I said, That is cool, but it's not quite what I want to say. So um, instead, you've got why, who, and how. Okay, let me end with this blessing from Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant us to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Amen.